Hello, and welcome to the JewishBoston.com podcast. We're excited to be back here. I'm Jen, and this is my co-host, Jesse. Hello. Hello, hello. Every time I hear the word hello now, all I can think is Adele. Hello. It's me. It's me. I wish I could sing, um, but I really don't want to ruin all of your eardrums. So I will I'll... happily sing in future episodes if people email us at podcast at jewishboston.com. <laughs> that is a begging statement. Yes. Um, you can request songs even. Oh, goodness. I, I refuse. I mean, I love me some karaoke. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, I just don't think singing on a podcast is going to be my forte. Oh, no. It'll sound terrible, but I'll do it. <laughs> That's good. At least you have some courage there. Um well, it has been a dreary week outside. Um, we're now the weathermen, but it's just been miserable. It was warm over the last weekend, and this whole week has been kind of like wonky weather. Not really sure what's happening. Luckily, it's Hanukkah, and that brightens up our lives a little bit. Some candles, um, celebrating. We're really excited this episode. We get to talk with Rabbi Josh Franklin from Temple Beth Elohim. He will be on the episode talking about Hanukkah and some... Uh, more religious sides of it, the historical context of it, the whole December dilemma, Christmas versus Hanukkah. Is it really a competition? Um, we're both really excited about it because it's something we both deal with in our regular lives. So I'm sure there's plenty of listeners out there that also deal with this December dilemma. I'm a lover of both holidays, but for very different reasons. So we're excited to talk with Rabbi Josh later. And after Jesse and I talk with Rabbi Josh Franklin, we'll talk a little bit about our own personal Hanukkah traditions, which are very exciting as well. So um, as I mentioned earlier, please email us at podcast at jewishboston.com. We want to hear your stories. We want to hear uh, your ideas. We want to hear what you, what you think about the podcast. And uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. I still don't know what Stitcher is. You tell us this every week, but I don't know what Stitcher is. For people who don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is just like a sort of user interface put over the RSS feeds that podcasts live in. So it's just another way. It's like iTunes podcast store, but outside of iTunes. Oh, for like Androids or something. Mm -hmm. Got it. It's all making sense. Clearly, I'm an Apple user and just I love my podcast app, so I don't have to think about it. Just listen to them every day on my way into work. Some so. people some people like Stitcher because it can put your podcast together in like almost like a radio format where like you don't really know which of your podcasts are going to start playing. I don't know. I don't I don't actually use it myself, but Fancy. I know people who do. So, OK, but again, you can subscribe at any of those. Yes. Places. <laughs> I mean, again, iTunes is the most important. And please leave us a rating or review if you like it, because that is also important. Tell us how much you love us. Yes. Or hate <laughs> us, I'm, you know. Oh, no, don't say that. I I will, like I'll that. take any kind of feedback. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get started. That's right. To the theme song. Josh Franklin um, at Temple Beth Elohim in Wellesley. Welcome, Josh. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we just wanted to get to know a little bit about you and talk some Hanukkah. I mean, this week is Hanukkah, so it's a pretty exciting time. Um, but what what do you do here at Temple? I mean, you're a rabbi, but what is your role? I'm actually one of several rabbis here at Temple Beth Elohim. Awesome. And we each focus on different areas of Jewish life. And one of my focuses happens to be working with teens, working with our B'nai Mitzvah students in our 20s and 30s. And doing all the other things that rabbis do. Right. Helping everybody out. Helping everybody out. Everybody needs a little help. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's exciting. We're happy to have you. So Jesse and I um, had been talking and we were like, what is this whole Hanukkah thing? I mean, we've grown up celebrating it our whole lives, but 
there's also this complex of Christmas. I mean, Christmas is right around the corner, and Hanukkah's kind of blown up here in the U.S., and we kind of wanted to get a rabbi's perspective on why that's kind of blown up in the U.S. So um, what are your take, like your initial take on Hanukkah? Like, what do you think? Well, actually, first question. Oh, how, no. <laughs> uh, and this is very important. How do you spell Hanukkah? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm actually a fan of the Levies who are a band, and they have a whole song, How Do You Spell Hanukkah? <laughs> we had them here last year at Temple Beth Elohim. They were fantastic. We need to look them up. But I think we do have an official spelling at Temple Beth Elohim. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, it's C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. Oh, boo. I boo, I boo one, all of that. One N, <laughs> one K, and a C-H. A C-H. We're I'm, not a fan of the C-H. No, I'm a H-A-N-U-K-K-A-H person. Ah, the Wholeheartedly. <laughs> it is Hanukkah. It's not Hanukkah. Like, I understand where the word comes from. <laughs> this is America. It's an H. Um, in America, we use two Ks, too. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> That's right. I the three Ks what... is right out. So. Oh, three Ks. I, I don't know what I do. I think I spell it differently every time. Depends on where I'm at, how I'm feeling that day. Just switch it up. My dad it up. switches it up, but it drives me insane because he used to be an editor of a uh, local paper growing up. And he had a spelling <laughs> for the paper, but like in emails and texts, he changes it up. I'm like, I know you have a preferred spelling of this, ho- of this holiday. We should probably just spell yeah. it with Hebrew characters. Probably. No confusion. Yeah, then, confusion. then no one will know what it is. No um, one will know what we're talking about ever. It'll be great. Well, I think I think the fact that Hanukkah has a name problem is sort of, it sort of makes sense when we start talking about what the holiday is and how it is celebrated now and what it was originally. So, mm-hmm. um, if, if you can, why don't you fill us out what Hanukkah originally was? I think there's a lot of different perspectives on kind of where Hanukkah comes from. Historically, Hanukkah has to do with uh, a Jewish victory over the Assyrian Greeks in about 167 BCE. And a long time ago. A long time ago. Before my time. <laughs> and the Assyrian Greeks were kind of the extension, or a little bit later than Alexander the Great, they're kind of the leftover one of the leftover armies or the leftover empires of that particular area. And the Jews at the time in in Israel were not necessarily the strongest of people at the time. And so it was kind of a David and Goliath, kind of still a Jewish reference, but it was was a a real underdog victory for the Jewish people at the time, uh, defeating this huge army like the Greek Empire, kind of. Didn't in, they have in like Israel. elephants and all? Or that's what the story says. That might be. That might right. be. What, that's probably where the story yeah. goes with that one. <laughs> Regardless, it was an incredible victory, and so one of the original takes on Hanukkah is that it's a miraculous victory, and it's the tale of of triumph in, against impossible odds. Mm-hmm. Historically, one of the interesting things about Hanukkah, which people might not necessarily know is the reason it's celebrated for eight days historically now, going back to the Book of Maccabees, which is one of the takes of it, is that because the Maccabees weren't able to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot, which also is seven right. days plus the day Shemini Atzeret, eight days long, they celebrated Sukkot after the victory. A belated and celebration. A belated celebration of Sukkot, which kind of became this Jewish holiday which morphed into another Sukkot, a second Sukkot, which is now Hanukkah. Interesting. How, however, you know, several hundred years yeah. later, the idea of what Hanukkah was got rewritten. The rabbis who uh, write in the Talmud, they shift the perspective a little bit on what this story is about. And they talk about a particular incident that happened after the victory where uh, the Maccabees went to rededicate the temple and which had been defiled by the Assyrian Greeks. And they found only one cruise of oil, which was 
was supposed to last only one day, but instead it lasted eight days. And so the Hanukkah miracle essentially became that this little bit of oil lasted eight days. Right. And I think that's the story most of us have. That part of the story is where I think my education kind of left. I never really heard the back end of it. I mean, I knew both parts. It always, of course. I mean, it it always fascinated me. There was a miracle aspect to it because most Jewish holidays don't necessarily, you know, there's not necessarily a miracle based around it. We're not. We're not a miracle religion. I've never viewed, like, you know, when you compare it to Christianity, there's lots of miracles in Christianity, and, they, and miracles continue throughout time. Uh, Hanukkah had this one miracle, and no other holiday had this, oh, you, this one thing happened that wasn't supposed to happen. One of the things that the rabbis teach is actually, don't rely on miracles. Mm-hmm. But Hanukkah is a little bit different in that regard. Yeah. I will say that Hanukkah, unlike uh, other Jewish holidays, doesn't have the, they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat kind of theme. The rabbis morphed it from that, and they changed it into something that was incredibly special, something that was focused on light, something that was focused on miracles and not on military victory. Right. Though we do still have the food. We kept the the sufgan, the jelly donuts, and the latkes, and all the fun fried stuff as well. What is the, I guess, the fried stuff, where does that come from? Is that from, like, I always thought it was, like, the oil and you fry, right? It, it is. Okay. It's because we have all this oil yeah. left over, it's kind of like the abundance of oil. Now that we actually do have it, mm-hmm. we're going to use it in a way that is delicious. And quite quite frankly, most Jewish holidays yeah. do have to do with food. I've and already what, eaten what, a lot. What better way? <laughs> I, I think if it had to do with steam, the holiday, mm-hmm. And you had to steam all your food. I don't think Hanukkah would be quite as popular. <laughs> no, the I deep frying is much like the fried, agree, yes. greasy, greasy. Yeah, yes. Steamed <laughs> potatoes are not as good as fried potatoes. Definitely not. I mean, what's fun about you know learning the story of the Maccabees, like historically, it was like one of the first like guerrilla warfare tactics that were used in history, like the hiding in trees, not going straight at your enemy, you know, attacking them when they don't expect it. And these things, you, I mean, at least I only learned about them when I went to grad school to learn about these things. <laughs> and so it's. Hanukkah keeps sort of morphing. Like, one, it was the rabbis while making the Talmud sort of tweaked it to fit with the themes of all the other holidays. And then I'm, you know, if I remember correctly, like in the early 20th century, with sort of the rise of commercial Christmas came the sort of third modern version of Hanukkah, which is the the Jewish replacement for Christmas. And Our battle against Christmas Yes, now. which, again, is a battle that Hanukkah's always going to lose. So if you sort of take the two holidays <laughs> Not together. Not according to Adam Sandler. Adam that, Sandler kind of focuses on the fact that we have eight crazy nights, eight nights of presents, <laughs> as most Jewish children will tell you. In trying That's to true. Fight, in trying to fight the Christmas narrative of I, we yeah, get more presents and it's I, an yeah. amazing holiday. No, I get that. But, like, you celebrate one Christmas with non-Jews and you see they get more than eight, eight gifts to begin with. They got the red and green are very distinctive colors. We have blue and white, which again, I'm a blue, like blue is one of my favorite colors. But You're not opposed to the colors of Hanukkah. Well, no, I'm not opposed to the colors of Hanukkah. I am opposed to the colors of Christmas just because I have an anti-Christmas streak. Oh and no. It's not that I have a problem with Christmas. It's just, it's not something we should be competing against, I guess, is, is my thought on it. We need so, to be individuals, not yes. competitors. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that Hanukkah and Christmas have in common is the presence. And as you said, Jesse, we made it that way. I think uh, in the 20th century, there was this realization by a bunch of lonely Jewish kids who were celebrating this holiday, getting zero presents at the same time as their Christian friends were celebrating Christmas and getting all these presents. And parents having to deal with their sad little children at one point said, you know what would be a really great idea if we gave our children presents too. (laughs) And, you know, 
I think there's a lot of people, a lot of Jews who actually did celebrate Christmas at one point as well. I know my grandfather, who came from Germany, one of the tr family traditions was having a Christmas tree. And the Christmas tree in general, the idea of a tree in your house was something that was very German. Right. So I don't know if he necessarily got presents around the time of Christmas, but there was certainly this celebration by many Jews, at least in Germany, or I'm sure here as well in the United States. Uh, that time of year. Of century, yeah. that. Do you think that uh, it's just American Jews that are receiving presents, or do you think it's kind of um, popularized itself across Europe as well? I know in Israel, I'm not sure that they give presents on Hanukkah still. Um, I'm just not sure if that is this a very American culture kind of thing that we've created, or has it spread worldwide? Do you know? I'm not 100% sure, yeah. but I will say that we are about a third of the world's, world's Jewish population, and because of that, we right. do have a little bit of influence right. on the rest of the culture. And still uh, Orthodox communities, though, I'm not quite sure if they receive presents either. So right. it, it could be more of an assimilated American cultural Jewish thing mm -hmm. as it is something that has become the mainstream Jewish experience. Right. Well, I mean, even Christmas is not, the, the, the modern Christmas we see is not what Christmas was 100 years ago. I mean, there's a reason Santa Claus looks the way he does. That was a, it was a marketing tool. Like, the, if you look at drawings of, of St. Nick from the 1800s, he looks very different than the Coca-Cola Santa Claus. If, if I remember correctly, it was the Coca-Cola Santa Claus that started the, <laughs> um, the, the American... The red, the, big yes, yes, the big puffy, the beard. But there is something to be said for, you know, a light festival in December, especially living up here. It is dark. Cold and dark by, Absolutely. what, 3.30, 4 o'clock? Yes, I feel it was, like it starts fading it, on us. It, it dropped like 20 degrees. I, I was outside yesterday as the sun was setting, and I was like, oh, it was actually kind of warm yesterday. And then instantaneously the sun goes down, and it dropped like 20 degrees. And so when you see, you know, beautiful lights and windows and, like, um, trees that can't die, I, I, I see it. I understand its need. And so I'm... The idea of like Hanukkah decorations always fascinated me. I'm like, it's a festival of lights. I don't know why we don't, in some way, we, we don't do anything with the actual like lights themselves other than the menorah. There's no like decorations. There's no, um, I, we always had like minimum decor, uh, minimum decorations in my house. We had we, the, the electric menorah and that was about it. I don't think Target or Walmart, they sell extravagant Christmas or Hanukkah lights in the way that they celebrate, uh, they sell Christmas yeah. lights. So that might be part of it. But having said that, I think there is something really powerful about the flame of a candle. And looking into that just one small yeah. flame, the simplicity of it, as you're saying, Jen. Yeah. And the rabbis have a, a story that, or a debate that they talk about in the Talmud between the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai, two famous rabbis who love to have debates. And they're discussing how is it that we should light the Hanukkah menorah. And the house of Shammai brings in this tradition which essentially says that you should start the first night with eight candles and every single night decrease. Oh. Clearly that's not what we right. do now. Hillel gives a different tradition, and he says that we start with one, and we increase to eight. And we grow. And then we grow, and the logic yeah. behind it is that we increase in holiness, we increase in light, and we never decrease. And I think, especially at this time of the year, as you're saying, Jesse, there's a need for that increase in light in our lives. Right. As the nights grow darker and darker and darker as we get to December 21st, we really need that, that light in our lives. Both metaphorically, <laughs> both metaphorically and physically. Let me ask you a, like a, a rabbinical question now. In the Hillel Shammai fights, does Shammai ever win one? Because every time I hear that, it's Hillel's always right. You're <laughs> absolutely correct that Hillel wins the major vast majority of the arguments. I think there's only three cases 
where Shammai actually wins. So like, so Hillel's the, the Harlem Globetrotters of the scenario, <laughs> right? And Shammai is the Washington, or the generals? The generals, yeah. Yeah, but you might ask, you know, why, why even bother including Shammai's opinion? And I think there's something really special about including the minority opinion. That's actually something we do yeah. in the Supreme right. Court cases yes. today. Yes. You should always preserve the minority opinion just in case there is value in there that someday we'll revisit. I really like that idea. I, I, yeah. I was always just curious about that because, you know, you, I, I hear that brought up a lot. I'm like, does he ever win one? Like, <laughs> three. 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 Out, out of, like, numerous, numerous debates. Do you know you what the three are? I actually, off the top of my head, do not. All right. Have that's to right. look them up. Yeah. Look it up, listeners. Google's the best thing that's ever happened to I, us. Like, I Google's bet Google so knows much. this. I bet Google knows this. <laughs> well, let's move to, the, I guess, the more controversial discussion about Hanukkah in, and in how do people in interfaith relationships celebrate December, like how they handle the month of December. It's true. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it, I don't think. But I think there's unique ways for everyone to celebrate. I know growing up, we had two sides of the family. So my mom's side celebrated Christmas. My dad's side celebrated Hanukkah. Every year we have an annual, we call it Marmaka, which is our last name in Hanukkah. So there's an annual Marmaka party. Um, and Get it? it? It's really clever. Our family is brilliant. Um, so, I mean, it gets together. My All of my dad's cousins, aunts and uncles. So I have this massive family and we get together. And it's more of a celebration of us just being together. Um, we have, like, my great aunt makes laka. And it's, just, it's wonderful. This year we're going to Vermont for a whole weekend and doing Marmaka there. Because you know it's colder than Boston. Vermont. <laughs> it's wild. Um but we also, like, as children, not anymore in my adult life, but as children, we celebrated, sort of, Christmas. But it was more or less we were celebrating with my mom's side of the family. We weren't necessarily celebrating it ourselves. We were always the Jewish cousins. Like, that was never a question. Um, but we did get to go to my grandma's house, have a gift exchange. There was always a Christmas tree. We had all this food. But I never really understood as a child, like, the religious significance of that event. It was a time... Christmas is when I get together with grandma. Like, that's what it was to me. Um, and I think as I got older, I started realizing the differences of the two holidays. Obviously, not the same holiday. <laughs> um, but both holidays for me were both very family-oriented. of like getting together with the extended family, getting to see them and celebrate. But I think as people start to grow older, that kind of shifts as like in your adult life, like what you're actually identifying with and what the religious significance behind either are. I don't know. I mean, I, I used to go over to my neighbor's house, who was Christian, because I grew up in Oklahoma, there weren't a lot of Jews, and it, it was always sort of nice watching him open presents. I wasn't like, I, di I didn't feel like a voyeur at the time, but I realized now I liked observing other, you know, religious customs, and it was just sort of nice to see my friend get, you know, get gifts, and I used to go home around the, um, Christmas and New Year's to see family and friends, and I'd go over to my wife's house, and that that's when I received my Hanukkah presents. Her parents' usually, house. Yeah. Okay. Yes, her parents' house. And, uh, you know, I'm, I celebrate Christmas with them. And, but it's not, like, it's not, it's not my home. And so it, it, it feels like I'm celebrating with people who are celebrating. Right. Um, I don't know what you see. And I'll have a guilty admission in that every New Year's Eve for the past several years, I've been going to my wife's family's friend's Christmas party. And right. for me, it's not a Christmas celebration. It's a holiday celebration. Right. There's a tree there. But having said that, you know, it's it's being with your friends and your family and community. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, that there's a historical irony to celebrating both and to kind of being influenced by different cultures. And that is that the Maccabees were really religious zealots. And their goal was to not only fight the Syrian Greeks, but to fight assimilation ah. within the Jewish culture as a whole. So uh, they were really against people adopting 
Christian, excuse me, they were against people adopting Greek cultural uh, things like mm-hmm. um, going to the gymnasium and uh, wrestling and whatever whatever it was at the at the time right. in Greek literature. So you know, Hanukkah in its very historical form is incompatible with other cultures. You could Completely. say that. But that was <laughs> that was twenty two hundred years ago. We live in a different time. This mm-hmm. is the twenty first century, and I think we've really learned to live with the world around us in mm-hmm. ways that we can have friends and uh, communities that aren't necessarily Jewish, but at the same time recognize the power of our own particular culture right. and have it be a light among the other lights that are going on at this time of the year. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's, I don't know, it's nice. I I don't mind Christmas time. I, I'm not as opposed to Christmas, I guess, as Jesse is. No, I'm not. See, here's, the, here's the thing. I'm not opposed to Christmas as a holiday because just like with Hanukkah, I know a lot of Christians don't necessarily like the commercialized version of Christmas. Like there, mm-hmm. there is significance in Christmas. It is the, it is the birth of Jesus Christ. It, it means something. And I have no I have no problem with that. I have, I for most of my life sort of defined my Judaism in being in opposition to Christianity in the sense that I was different from the Christians around me. And so it's been it's been sort of hard to let some of it in because I feel like letting one thing in is like some sort of defeat. But then I realized like we're Jews in America, like being part of American culture requires, an, uh, one, an understanding of Christmas and two, like there's no way to avoid it. I wish I could avoid Christmas music on the radio but I do that by not listening to the radio anymore. So I will say that if you go into Starbucks, Starbucks has done a really phenomenal job at integrating Jewish music yes. into their repertoire. Yes. So much so that there's there's Jewish songs and Hebrew songs that are playing that have absolutely nothing to do with Hanukkah. I did not know that. Have absolutely that are really obscure Jewish pieces of music that they They're kind trying. of reinvented. Get so. on that, Duncan. Come on. <laughs> no, I agree. And they had. Um, I walked into Starbucks the other day. Most days I walk into Starbucks, but uh, they had even Hanukkah gift cards. Like, so, I mean, granted, there was still a lot of Christmassy New Year's gift cards, but they also had Hanukkah, which I thought is nice. And there's a lot of, they're trying to make a lot of commercialized Christmas things are now also trying to commercialize Hanukkah in the sense that like making it an even playing field of sorts. I still would love to see the blue and white cups, though. Yes, where are the blue and did you? There's like a that whole debate after the red cup thing, and people started changing them to like menorahs. The Starbucks logo. I have logo. not seen that. That they, sounds fantastic. They were like problem solved because there was all of this debate that it could not be. It's just a plain red cup. So somebody posted a blue Starbucks cup and then made a menorah out of the Starbucks thing, and they're like, problem solved. We, we solved the debate. It's now a menorah cup. Yeah, just, we have no other issues. Just stick to your normal colored cup, Starbucks, if you don't want to cause any problems. Yeah. No, I say this, and I'm looking at your cups from Dunkin' Donuts, yes. and they are also green and red. Oh, though these are Christmas cups. Oh, they are uh, distinctly they are stri- Christmas cups. I mean... Oh, my gosh, I didn't even notice until just now. They, they, are, they are, obviously, they're white mostly, but there are a green pine-looking leaves and the word joy in, in red. In a wreath. There's in a, a wreath, wreath, yes. I mean, this is a this is a Christmas cup. So, Duncan, come on now. <laughs> I love very, you, Duncan. Very, very much. Just stick to your normal cups. We don't have to theme everything. In the holiday spirit, I guess. Yes. Well, I think I know the reason the December dilemma exists, I think, is because people feel like they do have to compete with Christmas instead mm-hmm. of sort of looking at the rest of Jewish culture and finding something else to hold on to. I know that being in an interfaith relationship, you feel like you have to sort of compete with every holiday. But I feel like that's, that's only because of how big Christmas is. Like it's a it's a tentpole holiday for the for for the year. It's near the end. It is like it it is the the last thing before New Year's. Like it's um, it's a, you know the the big grand hurrah. finale. Yes, 
And so I think people, when they're in interfaith relationships, try to try to you know want to some somehow compete with it, when really they should just sort of enjoy being celebrating both their culture and the culture of the person they're with. And I know all three of us grew up in places where we were the minority. Where'd you grow yeah. up? I grew up in Yonkers, New York. So at my school, uh, at public school, there weren't very many other Jews. I was always the kid who was asked to explain Hanukkah. (laughs) And when you're that kid, you kind of do live in opposition to your friends in terms of what religious holiday you celebrate. You're always the the one who's asked, explain what Judaism thinks on this. Or tell me about this Jewish holiday. As a Jewish expert. expert. What's what's Passover? Luckily, you became a rabbi, so you were more qualified to do those explanations. I was also asked those same questions, and I was like, oh, yeah. I totally did not know what I was talking about. God, it would have been great (laughs) to have Google in middle school. I can tell you that. Yeah. It would have helped a lot. Because a lot of times I just sort of winged the answer. I'm like, well, I think I heard my rabbi say this once, so I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I mean... I was a cyclops living in the land of the blind, yeah. and, and yeah. everyone looked to me to figure out what exactly. was going on with Hanukkah. It was uh, was it easy to find your house at this time of year? Like it was always easy to find my house because it was the one with no lights. <laughs> like I was like, oh, that, that black hole—that's where I live. So we never put up lights either. My mom actually used to come into our classes, so every year, my my mother was like such a good component of like making sure that we could still be. Jewish and like okay with our identity as Jews in a very Christian community. And so every year they did at least one Hanukkah theme song at the Christmas concert, which got changed to holiday concert because of my mother. Um, and so like the holiday choir concert, um, we always made sure to sing at least one Hanukkah themed song. Um, we always, my mom came in every year during elementary school and did like made latkes for the whole class and so explained like the story of Hanukkah because these the kids had never been exposed to that in this community at all. Um, and while Hanukkah, again, back to that, is not the most important or robust Jewish holiday, it gave us an opening to start explaining that there is another culture out there besides what you've always grown up with. So I think it, it opened doors to more questions, which is a good thing, um, but it also positioned it as the epitome of what Judaism is. This is Judaism, is Hanukkah. And so that is a little bit of a catch-22 of this is a good thing, opening doors and showing them another culture and religion, but it's not the only thing about that culture and religion. Yeah, I, I would hope that Hanukkah wouldn't be the story that defines the Jewish people. Right, I hope not. No, it's not It's not a great story. I mean, like, we won at the end of the day, but it's she not... She sold, the, like, the nice yeah, fairy tale. I mean, it's, like, a, it's a violent story. At the end of the day, though, if we kind of focus on the light and the miracles, we're, right. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, but. exactly. <laughs> um, I guess, does TBE, or Temple Beth Elohim, not TBE, the more acronyms. Remember, we promised not to use acronyms other than CJP in this podcast. So Temple Beth Elohim, do they have any cool Hanukkah traditions? Do you guys do anything special for the students in the religious school? I know you work with a lot of the students. We started something that was really cool last night for the first night of Hanukkah, which was we um, not only had a number of people here in our sanctuary on the bima lighting our Hanukkah menorah and singing songs, but we live streamed it as well. Oh, that's cool. Nice. And we did it in a way that um, that kind of enabled all of our community to tune in at the part. exact same time, light their Hanukkah menorahs all over our community while watching what we're doing here at Temple Beth Elohim. That's really cool. 
And I mean, it's a cool way to, to use technology mm-hmm. to kind of enhance community and bring people together yeah. live. And uh, I thought that was... Were that, there a bunch of students here at the time? Or was it... There were students, students? there okay. were teens, oh, there it. were families. Um, and on top of that, there were people streaming them live. That's so cool. That's great. I mean, because Hanukkah, like some other Jewish holidays, doesn't necessarily have a temple component. It's a, it's a home private ceremony, the lighting the candles and the gift giving and whatnot. But your community is your home. So. Yeah, and so it's it, it, it's nice to f- use technology in a way of bringing the community together when they wouldn't necessarily do so. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any of like your own Hanukkah traditions that you want to share? Like, do you do anything at home? Hmm. I don't know. There's one song that I really do love. Mm-hmm. It's the light one candle. Mm, yeah, Peter that's a good Yarrow. one. Yeah, and I feel like singing that song every year reminds me of all the the tyrannies around the world, yeah. right now. And whenever I hear that song, it makes me think of how do we take the lessons of Hanukkah, the lessons of fighting tyranny and pursuing justice and freedom in the world, and how do we how do we live that today? And in that regard, I, it makes me see Hanukkah in a larger sense, not just this thing that happened a long time ago that we're celebrating. But how do we take the values of our tradition and really use it to enact social justice and, and pursue our freedoms and pursue um, pursue yeah. fighting inequalities that are in the world today? Yeah, I feel like That's- most Jewish holidays now, at least in the Reform tradition, have that sort of. There's always a social justice component they like to add to to the end of it, where we are free to celebrate this holiday, and there are people in the world who are not free to do things like this and, you know, just live their lives normally. And I, I've always I've always appreciated that. That's part, that's a part of Judaism that I always I've always attached myself to. Is mm-hmm. the the idea that there are people who are not who are not living the lives they would like to be leading in the world and we could help them. Yeah, you know, the idea of Greek or Roman I don't want to say that there's anything bad with it, but it becomes a larger metaphor for tyranny in the world. Yeah. Definitely. That's a good one. No offense to Greek or Romans. No. no. <laughs> I mean was for the Greek we wouldn't have a lot of the reading materials we have now, so thank you guys for <laughs> writing those things down. Thank you for your contribution yeah. to history. <laughs> I mean, like, if, if, if a brief historical tangent, um, Alexander, um, when he was controlling that area, was actually very kind to the Jews and, like, actually sort of forced the Jews to, like, regulate some of their rules. They're like, what, you know, asked them, at least as far as I know the story goes, like, he, he asked a series of rabbis, like, what do Jews believe? And so they had to sort of start pulling together um, that's where that's where the Babylonian Talmud came from, right? Like uh, historically, a little, a, li- a little bit later. A little bit later, okay. But there was this uh, translation of the Bible into Greek at that point, which oh. was, I believe, done under Alexander the Great's um, his body. reign. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, how you just pull out this history all the time, and it always blows I, my. M- I loved history class. Don't get me wrong, but like the retention of history is like. I had, it's a little I a, questionable. Yeah. I, I had a very expensive master's degree. That I'm <laughs> glad I I'm glad I can use it from time to time on my podcast. So there you go. Well, thank you so much, yeah, Josh, for coming and talking Hanukkah with us and talking Christmas. Um, we're really happy. Um, Temple Beth Elohim here in Wellesley is an amazing community. It is gorgeous. So we're always excited to come out and check it out and see what's going on around here. So thank your sa- you. Your sanctuary has amazing acoustics. <laughs> so I love hearing music in there. So it's true. Come join us any Friday night, 6 All o'clock right. for Shabbat services. Perfect. Well, have a great Hanukkah, everybody. Yes, happy Hanukkah, everybody. Well, I 
hope you all enjoyed that interview with Rabbi Josh Franklin. Um, we loved talking to him and hearing about some of the Hanukkah traditions that his family has, that Temple Beth Elohim has. It's really exciting to see how a community comes together around such a festive time of year. Both Jesse and I have some funny uh, Hanukkah traditions as well. Uh, Jesse, what do you and Michelle, Jesse's fabulous wife, like what do you and Michelle do for Hanukkah every year? So uh, Michelle and I, as she is not Jewish and celebrates Christmas with her family, we were trying to think of a fun sort of wintertime thing to do. And since we're both, you know, uh, nerds at heart, we we discovered that Hallmark every year makes different sort of nerdy-esque ornaments, like, you know, Star Wars characters or Star Trek things Wait, or Harry actually, Potter. the brand Hallmark? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I knew they had the cards or the Hallmark channel with the crappy... Yeah, with the, with the terrible movies. You can say Christmas. crappy movies. That's fine. Okay, the crappy movies. They're terrible Christmas movies, movies. Yes. I love them. Oh, my God. But anyway, continue. I bet they're fun to watch. I'm so, they're so I, terrible. They're not good. <laughs> Guilty like, pleasure. Like last year, they had a Harry Potter fighting Voldemort one that like lights up. and, and That the, ornament one? Yeah. Wow. They've had a Kirk, Kirk and Spock fighting, and it plays a little song. Who are Kirk and Spock? They are... This, the, the Live Long and Prosper <sighs> dudes, right? Spock yes. is Mr. Spock. Like yes, the, that's Mr. Spock. Okay, yes. cool. Star Trek. Star Trek, thank you. You guys, pop culture. I know that's an old one, but I just you need I need to clarify. That's so fine. I know that's what fine. I'm talking about. That's fine. I've also a uh, couple of um, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit ones. Okay. So uh, I'm so, aware of those. Yes. yes. So we buy each other one of those, and then get each other, you know, um, wintertime gift giving festival gifts. So that's so fun. Fun little quirky ornaments. Yes. I, by the way, I would like to clarify uh, something I talked about earlier with Josh, uh, Rabbi Josh Franklin. Yes. Is that I do understand that other Jewish holidays do have miracles. I was just talking about how Hanukkah focuses on this one particular miracle that has nothing to do with the rest of the story. So It's true, it's true. I know that I know that miracles happen in other Jewish holidays. So We just don't focus on them yeah. as much. Which so, is okay. I mean I would thing. I would love to say we got tons of like tweets and emails about it, but we haven't yet because this thing hasn't gone out yet. So <laughs> I'm just going to assume people are going to get very angry with me. So I'm oh, just going to no. clear Clarify it out. Clarify it in advance. You're good to go. Nothing to worry about there. But, you know, family traditions, we don't really have any sort of family traditions other than just the normal ones growing up. Hanukkah was a time when people would ask me about Hanukkah a lot, very much like Rabbi Franklin talked about. And so there was one year when I was uh, interviewed by the local uh, paper. I can't remember what it was called. The Broken Arrow something. Let's say Tribune. Sure. And they came to our house, and like we, we lit candles for them, and I pretended to play dreidel by, by myself, and they took pictures. Now that you're talking about this, I think my family was also interviewed by the local... Up top. We, that was a high five, everybody. Um, there was the, the local newspaper, the Post Crescent, the Appleton Post Crescent. Oh my gosh, I like totally forgot about this, but we had like a picture of us, like my brothers and I awkwardly lighting the Hanukkah candles. Oh my goodness. What was the name of the paper again? The Appleton Post Crescent. That's a great name for a paper. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I didn't come up with it. I don't know why I'm saying thank you right now, but thank you. I mean, (laughs) the the story my parents would tell, um, if they were ever sort of described, if they were describing to someone else what my childhood was like, Mm -hmm. they would always talk about, and I don't remember what grade this is. It was either second or third grade, but the school was having a sort of, it wasn't a parade, but like a Christmas presentation in the library where there'd be like a nativity scene and whatnot. Yeah, that's unusual. And, And, you know, they had this one Jewish kid, student, me, and they're like, what are we going to do about this? Cause, what do we do with him? Yeah. So they ended up giving me a table, right? And I sat at this table with a menorah and by a dreidel. Yourself? By myself. And the entire school walked by me on the way to the nativity scene, like with their parents. It was like a nighttime thing. And my, my parents said they were really worried about me. But apparently I was just like ear to ear, smiling, loved it. Because mm. everyone had to walk by me. Mm. I mean, 
as someone the attention was yeah, on Jesse. As someone and who loves to be the center it. of attention, it was the best. I mean, I didn't I didn't know enough to feel awkward about it. I was just like That's amazing. My Judaism was always why I was different. So it didn't it wasn't like a new thing that I had discovered about me. I was I knew that already. So That's so great. That's so great. Yeah. I wonder what schools uh here in Boston do for Hanukkah if they do anything. I know again Hanukkah is this weird complex that people kind of heighten what it's it, what it's supposed to be about and how important what what the importance yeah. of it is. But also falls on different d- different days every year, so like right. it'd be hard to schedule it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember at least for me when we were in school, at some point the Christmas holidays got renamed to you know the winter vacation instead of the Christmas yeah. vacation. And like honestly, I didn't care because it. I never thought about it. I didn't think twice. Hanukkah about it. N- d- falls at different times, so it can't be. You know, it, it can be winter vacation because it is winter. Mm-hmm. Fighting about whether removing Christmas from things like that didn't bother me. No. I was off from school. I didn't care what they called it. So, yeah. I so I was talking to my little. I have big brothers, big sisters, Jewish big brothers, big sisters. Incredible program. So I have a little, and we were hanging out this week, and we were just talking about her week and what she's up to and how she's celebrating Hanukkah. And they're very simplistic. She goes to um, a private Orthodox Jewish day school and. Um, I was telling her about my, my lost menorah, right? And she was so concerned. She goes, how are you lighting candles? We, we light them in school. I was like, luckily I work at CJP, so we light candles at work. And she was, But she was worried about me because I didn't have my menorah, so how was I supposed to celebrate Hanukkah? I couldn't light the candles. It was really sweet of a 10-year-old to be worried about that. My lost menorah story is a little... It's a little ridiculous. Every year at the the Marmar annual Hanukkah party mm-hmm. that I mentioned, Marmica, uh, I believe Marmica, it's called Marmica. Uh, last year, I was trying to leave the, my cousin's house and I like, didn't know where my menorah went. So someone who had already left accidentally took my menorah. So it was like a family like menorah switching. I found at, we have a Marmar family Facebook group, and I like posted. A, because I also have a picture of my menorah. So I posted a picture of my menorah, and I said, has anybody seen my menorah? It's missing. I need it for, one, Hanukkah. And two, I need to bring it to a meeting for work, for this committee meeting. We wanted to light the menorah. And uh, my great uncle, my grandfather calls me. He's like, your menorah's missing. Oh, no. My great uncle calls me, and he goes, I think I have your menorah. And he, like, confessed. He accidentally stole my menorah. Was it, like, a standard-looking menorah? No, it's pretty unique. Like, it's, like, old and little. And my dad got it in Israel, like, 30 years ago. And he gave it to me. And this was, like, my menorah. Like, all three of us kids had our own menorah growing up. And my great-uncle calls to tell me he stole it. He goes, yeah, someone took mine, and I didn't know where it was when I was leaving, so I just grabbed one. I was like, that's not how this works. It's not a free-for-all. Yeah. He was so funny about it. He's... He promised to give it back to me this year at Marmica, so I will be okay. We have located the lost menorah, but I told my 10-year-old Little about this, and she was very concerned that I didn't have my menorah, and what was I to do if I didn't have a menorah for Hanukkah? It was really priceless and super adorable. That was very sweet. That she was concerned about me. It's not like you wouldn't be able to find a replacement menorah, considering where where we both live. Right. I mean, in Brookline. In our undisclosed location in Brookline. That I just disclosed. Whoops. Um, no, we, and actually, as we were talking about this, we looked in the window when we were walking past the Israel bookstore, and she goes, there's a bunch of menorahs there if you want to go get one. <laughs> it's like, I'm good. Thanks. It was really sweet. That was very nice. So, no lost menorah anymore. Yeah, so, you know, call off the... Um, call off the, the search. Yeah, call off the search. Call the FBI, the police. It's fine. <laughs> call off the dogs. We found it. We found it. I don't think... I don't know if a dog could smell a menorah. Maybe. Some wax. I don't know. Maybe. They, I don't know what... They, brass? I think it's brass. 
Well, some are made of brass. It's, it's an old one. I think it is. Well, you tell us what your menorahs are made out of. Yeah. I, I do not want to read those emails. Do not those, do that. Do you remember those really cool um, menorahs from uh, Sunday school? It was like one of my favorite activities. You got like a hunk of wood. Mm-hmm. And then you put the, the, like the nuts and bolts or whatever, the nuts, right? The you, little, we didn't like make you, make things out of wood in our Hebrew no, school. No, like the little metal round we, we, circular we, things. Those are nuts, right? I yes. And then you like stack them and hot glued them to a chunk of wood. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't allowed anywhere hold. near hot glue oh, or wood as a child. That was like a Sunday school project. Oh. And we made our own menorahs and we painted them and decorated them with glitter, glitter everywhere. But we all had one of those growing up. Wow, that's a very Wisconsin thing. I feel. No, I think that's a pretty normal. A Sunday school activity around Hanukkah time. How old were you? I was probably like eight. I don't know. And they're know. laying you down like hot glue guns and. Yeah, for sure. And like. Getting crafty. Wood. No, yeah. <laughs> that was not allowed. We made like, we had ones out of like, you know, like the plastic or metal or whatever those really cheap ones were. I guess. The um, MFA event this past Wednesday at the, um, well, at the Museum of Fine Arts, the yeah. Eight Nights, Eight Windows, big, huge event. They had a custom made menorah, except for that menorah was eight feet tall. Yeah. I could not construct something like that. It was incredible. It was an incredible event. So many people showed up. Um, we would love to hear if any of you went and what yes. you thought about the event. I know we've talked about it a couple times on the podcast. Our good friend Laura Mandel, kind of the curator behind all of that, uh, she, just an incredible job. So a big shout out to everybody on that 890 yes, Windows team. it was great. All the windows across the city. I hope you've checked all of those out. I've seen Jesse's face in one of the windows. Yeah, that was that was uh, disturbing. I did. I mean, I was waiting <laughs> for my face, but I didn't realize how quickly it was going to come up and how weird it would look. It was, it's much bigger than I was expecting it yeah, to be. Yeah, so. there's so many cool things. Um, but if you're by 45 for, Milk Street, yeah, take a look. You'll but see my face at some point. Up for a few more days till the end of Hanukkah. So yeah. we're almost there. All right. Well, again, we want to thank the amazing Sean Fogel for our awesome theme music and transition music. And a shout out to the great teams at JewishBoston.com and CJP for helping us out with this. Have a great and happy, happy Hanukkah. Yes. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Happy New Year. Even though we'll probably talk to you before the New Year, but just in case. (laughs) Happy New Year. That too. Bye. Adios.